We all have dreams. Some people seem to live theirs while others seem to struggle. This is, however, merely a perception. What if you could get the answers you needed to execute on your dreams? Welcome to the Platinum Mask Podcast, a show designed to ask various young professionals just how they deal with their specific ups and downs. How does one young upstart navigate competing with name brand companies? Where do we get the best tools? How do we grow from our stress and anxiety? Most importantly, how do we properly utilize our cash flow? The Platinum Mask Podcast with your host, Grayson Mask. We wanted answers, so we're going out to get them and sharing them with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello to everyone listening to the Platinum Mask Podcast. I am Grayson Mask. I have with me Ashley Durden, who's a local DFW Teen Life Enrichment Mentor, as well as kind of a uh, you know a teen host and teen mentor. But this was kind of a conversation that started off, um, saw her on some local blogs kind of featuring her work. And even though I've had interviews kind of with the traditional teaching K through 12 teachers, um, it was never like in this kind of uh, mentor enrichment program, or it also wasn't specifically dedicated to teenagers. Um, You know, I normally did kind of uh, younger years or kind of younger adults or older. Um, so this was definitely a subject I wanted to touch up on. So thank you again, Ashley, for you know taking out the time today to discuss um, yeah. kind of what's facing teenagers in kind of this new decade. Yeah, for sure. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited um, to just share with you and uh, your listeners more about what I do. Well, I guess what I wanted to like start off the topic with, um, because of all your work with teenagers, you know, nowadays, I wanted mm-hmm. to just kind of ask, you know, what was your kind of upbringing like? You know, what were, uh, I guess, what was your personality as like a teenager growing up and kind of, uh, I guess, in the area? Yeah. Did you grow up in like DFW? <laughs> yes, I am a native to Dallas, so born and raised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um shoot, my upbringing was pretty pretty normal. Um I was an awkward teenager. Um you know, I'm uh, both of my parents uh were um in the house. I grew up with both of them uh, married, but I'm an only child. So all attention was on me. <laughs> and pretty much I went through what you would call the uh normal teenage, like trying to figure out who I am, who I want to hang out with, you know, um, trying to make decisions, feeling like a kid, but also like wanting to be an adult, trying to figure out how to express myself to adults, um, while also kind of being relatable to uh, other teens. So it was just, it was pretty much the stereotypical um, growing up and trying to figure out who I was as a teenager. It had a lot of rough mm-hmm. moments, <laughs> definitely mm-hmm. a lot of rough, awkward moments. But overall, um, it was just the general, like, who am I? Like, does anyone be my friend? <laughs> kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like, I guess I remembered seeing in a blog post where you kind of talked about, um, I guess, like it harding to like fit in with a specific clique. Did that like still continue throughout high school or were you able to, was there anything like figure that out? Uh, Yeah. So I was raised in a private, like I was brought up in a private school kind of setting. Um, And I kind of didn't feel like I belonged. Um, I am African-American and so I grew up 
predominantly in white spaces. And so um, when I did have the chance to go to public school, it was like culture shock to me. Mm. Um, I kind of felt like, okay, like I don't know where I fit in and I floated. I always considered myself a floater. I had friends who, you know, were like, oh, I'm, I just hang out with the band people or I hang out with, you know, the people who play sports Mm. or do cheerleading. And I kind of just floated. I would find somebody in each group that had either something in common with me or that just resonated with me and I would hang out with them. So it was, I liked the fact that I couldn't pinpoint what group I belong to, but also it felt at times very lonely because I couldn't say Mm. this is the one group or these are the groups that I fit into. So um, that was kind of hard at times. And that continued until about college where I started kind of finding my group of people that I was like, okay, like there's other, Mm. you know, nerds like me, people who are goofy, like who get me. (laughs) So it did take time, but um, yeah, I just floated. I was a floater. Has like any with kind of floating around, has that been like an issue that some of the teens you've worked with, have they ever brought something like that? Is there any like advice you give into those situations? Like, do you, I guess, go to a click or should become comfortable with the idea of being a floater? Like, how does that go? Um, I think as, as teens, like we, teens are wanting to belong, like find that community. And so when I do have teens who are struggling with either quote unquote fitting in, um, my advice is to definitely be yourself, be completely yourself. Your, your people are going to find you eventually. And, and I also am realistic with them. And I say, you know, that might not be right now today. It might not be in this grade Mm -hmm. that you find all your people, but you might find one. And if you find that one, that's okay. Like, you know, it's not about uh, quantity, it's about quality. And Mm -hmm. so I definitely do try to um, be realistic in talking to them about that, but also let them know it's, it's okay if you just have two people who are your ride or die, like that's totally fine. You don't need Mm -hmm. to have 10, 20 people following you. Um, and you make your own, you make your own group, you know, and make it sure, make sure that it's welcoming to others who also might be in the same case that you are in. And with kind of the work you do with teenagers. So did this start mm-hmm. off with, uh, I know you came out from like a traditional teaching background. Did you like work with teenagers yeah. in that type of setting? Uh, no, I came from my uh, degree is in elementary education, uh, early childhood through sixth grade. And so those are the grades and the ages I worked with within a traditional school setting. So teenagers weren't in that space at all. Mm. Um, Yeah, no, I did not start (laughs) with working Mm -hmm. with teens at all when I first started out. Mm -hmm. And like, has there been like kind of looking back from like your traditional teaching background, was there like (laughs) any noticeable differences between like working with younger kids versus like uh, going into teenagers? Yeah. So for working with the little kids, um, it's a lot more of they're trying to please the adult. Uh, They're definitely wanting to, you know, act right, make sure that they understand the rules and make sure that their friends understand the rules, which is usually comes out as, you know, tattletelling or um, pointing out behaviors that the teacher has made very clear that's not what we do. As kids get older, 
it begins to shift more of their focus isn't like pleasing the teacher. It's more of pleasing their peers. And so mm-hmm. you see this shift in um, they might do things that their, their peers think is hilarious that they know isn't the behavior that's necessary in the classroom or in a specific setting. Um, that's a big thing that I noticed. Also, just mm-hmm. in general with growing up, you become more aware about things. You have more questions. Uh, you have a sense of like, well, that doesn't make sense. So I, I'm, I need you to like explain that more. And I love that I'm mm-hmm. able to have those conversations with teens. Whereas with little kids, they kind of just, I trust you. You're an adult. You said that wasn't good. So I'm just not going to do it. And like with those, when you kind of mention some of the teens wanting the respect to their peers mm-hmm. and possibly acting out to do that, what was like some, you know, has there been, it, can you point to like a specific moment or like the longest feud where Maybe it was a kid that, uh, you know, you had a lot of conflict with when they came in or maybe they're the class clown. Was there one that, mm-hmm. you know, took a while to finally mend? Yeah. So, oh, there's so many mm-hmm. <laughs> examples because teenagers are just they're really just interested in, in, in their peers wanting to be and hang out with them. Um, there was an instant um, when I was working um back in El Paso. And there were two students who kind of worked off of each other. It was fifth grade. Mm-hmm. So um, it was really rough for the teacher. I was at that point an assistant. So I just kind of came in, supported her, um, kind of, you know, walked around the room and stuff. Uh, these two were adamant. It was a boy and a girl, very adamant of controlling the classroom atmosphere. And it got to be to the point where the teacher could not teach. It was like a daily thing. Um, and, you know, due to, you know, rules and stuff, they eventually had to um, be moved to another room where they're kind of like, kind of like a detention, you could say. Um, before getting to that point, though, there were several conversations that were had with them, um, with the teacher, with the principal. And I remember talking to them one-on-one and asking them what was the outcome of this behavior? Like, what did you want to get out of this? Mm. And it really boiled down to the fact that they weren't heard at home. They weren't noticed at home. Mm. Uh, They weren't uh, really given the time and space they needed from their parents. So it came out in school. It was the space they were at the Mm. longest where they had the most eyes on them whether it was negative attention or positive attention, they were getting attention and that's what they were seeking. And Mm -hmm. so to me, that was an aha moment that the work that I want to do is not necessarily um, being that classroom or being that teacher in the front of the classroom. It's being the person that's talking to them about those things that are going on outside of the school that are affecting their Mm -hmm. behavior, the decisions, how they feel about themselves, what they're looking for with the other relationships around them, and how to give them the tools to better deal with those um, moments, those times, those feelings within being in the home, um, which is very 
hard to do as a teenager. You can't go anywhere. You can't, you know, leave like an adult. You, you have to stay there. You're dependent on your parents in that environment um, or you're dependent on going to school. You have to go to school. So you have to deal with the people or the peers that aren't treating you right or, you know, issues with teachers. So um, I realized, hey, that was a light bulb moment for me. That's where I want to be. I guess like in that type of situation, like how much leeway or uh, I guess resources does a K through 12 teacher normally have to deal with those like outside ramifications? Because I can imagine like, you know, if a teacher finds out a kid's, you know, he doesn't have the best home life. It's like, Mm -hmm. can they do anything about that? Or, you know, is that? Yeah. So uh, teachers do have protocol if they do believe uh, abuse is taking place or neglect is being taking place in the home. But um, outside of that, if it's, you know, like their parents work a lot, they're not just not giving the attention that would be best for the kid. Um, the, The teacher doesn't have a lot other than contacting the counselors and kind of talking to the counselors within the school. Um, The teachers are, they have so much on their plate and so many things that they're doing and required to do. And the pressure is so heavy on them with the academic part. They, they don't have a lot of bandwidth to do what I did, which was always to sit down and have those conversations that sometimes take an hour, sometimes take two hours. Teachers don't have that space to do that. Um, And so being that person, I was able to go back to the teacher and have that conversation with her and then adjust, okay, this is how we're going to deal with the behavior, or this is what we can do and how I can better communicate with that student since you were able to bring me that information. Um, but teachers just by themselves in the classroom with any without any of that support, it's hard for them. Um, there are teachers that do it, but you know, it's going to lack in the academic space in some way, shape, or form, because they are trying to make sure that they're reaching that student in more than just math and science and all of those things. And like, was, uh, you kind of mentioned, uh, really with El Paso, that kind of being the breaking point or, uh, the Mm. momentum that you you needed to make that switch from traditional teaching to, uh, life enrichment. But I heard about, uh, did you do like a program like out in Mexico or was there something out there? Yes. So I originally moved to Juarez, Mexico, um, and I worked at an orphanage down there. Um, I taught in the school that was on the orphanage grounds just because the behavior and the um, academic part of working with kids who are in that orphan system um, or who have been pulled away from their family, usually, uh, especially in Mexico, they are grades behind or they may have never been to school and they're 10 years old. Um, There's, you know, learning disabilities. And so the director was like, you know, we need a school that can cater and give them the space and the time. So that's why I went to Juarez. Um, Within that, I noticed that there weren't as many like big brothers, big sisters and after school programs. That's just not a thing. That's mm-hmm. not a big thing. And if it is, it's in specific areas where um, they're provided the resources. And so I was in one of the, the, the poorest uh, colonias, Anapra, um, which is Anapra in Juarez. And so that was not there. 
Um, I noticed that there were kids always in the street. I noticed that there was a lot of um, disconnects between teens and their parents. And so I started in the orphanage. And believe me when I said I did not go to the orphanage thinking, oh, I'm going to end up working with teens. My idea was I'm only working with little kids. I specifically requested to only work with little kids because um, there was this uh, teens talk back and they question things and I don't know how to deal with that. Um, So that kind of snowballed into what I do today was seeing those needs in the community. And then the orphanage kind of helped me um, grow up with those kids that were little when I came in the orphanage and then became teenagers and I learned how to work with them. And so then that's, that kind of helps everything. Was there any like original, I guess, cultural shocks that, uh, that originally started when you, uh, either whether it was just being out in Juarez for the first time or, mm-hmm. you know, working in a orphanage versus your traditional teaching background? Um, yes. So I was really surprised with, um, kind of how a lot of the teenagers were seen as caretakers for their siblings. Um, I, there is some of that here in the States, definitely, but the, it's a lot, a lot normalized. It's almost in every house. If there is a younger sibling and there's an older sibling, the older sibling is raising those kids. Um, Parents are working hard. They're trying to make ends meet. And so they're working in factories and aren't getting home until late. And so you have a 16 year old who is doing lunch and uh, breakfast, lunch and dinner, walking their siblings to school, picking them up from school, walking them home. And so um, I noticed that was a big thing within the culture that I kind of wanted to um, give teens, especially, um, girls, um, it's expected of them to kind of have all of these motherly instincts and to do them and enjoy them. And I wanted to give them a space to just be teens like this. And I I remember requesting, like, if you can possibly come without your little siblings, I would like you to. If for a reason you can't, then that's okay. I'll have something for them. Um, but I wanted to make sure they had that space to just be teens. And that was a huge culture shock with me. Um, also, parents, for the most part, if you said you were anything, if you had any title, uh, if you were connected to any org, they kind of let your kid, their kids go with you, which was a huge shock for me because there's so many like – you know, red tape and things that you have to do in the States to, to be able to work with teens. It was really like, oh, you're going to watch them. You're going to take care of them here. Take them. Um, so that was a shock to me. So I did do, I'd made sure I talked with parents and they knew who I was and they felt comfortable and they understood, you know, this is the time they're coming back and everything because I was like, Hey, you got to be involved in this. This isn't a you don't know where they're going. I'm going to tell you where they're going because, you know, uh-huh. that's also keeps me protected. So, yeah, uh-huh. that was a huge thing that I just was like, OK, this is different. We're going to we're going to work with this, though. When you like mention, uh, I guess, the idea of wanting teens just to be teens mm-hmm. and, you know, different factors affecting that, like in Mexico with uh, the idea that uh, teenagers are having to take up huge responsibilities at such a young age. I was kind of wondering, do you see any factors that possibly do the same thing on the, you know, the other side in the DFW community 
Uh, I think like one of the first things I think of is kind of the insane overreach of social media and, you know, if that has any weird play on just teenagers now. But do you see any like major factors nowadays? Yes. Um, the That social media has definitely, I've noticed a shift in what being a teenager means, what it looks like, um, how you're supposed to be like. Just in comparison on who and what I was doing at 16 compared to 16-year-olds now, um, some of it is great. Like you've got 16-year-olds who are wanting to be entrepreneurs and starting their businesses and, you know, making um, amazing um, things happen within their lives and for the communities around them. The other side of it is, is you have teens who are um, in adult spaces who don't have the capacity to make decisions or um, do the things that they are asked to do because they're still a team. Their brain is still developing. They're still trying to figure out who they are. And social media kind of like speeds that up because they have so much access to all of these people, all of these ideas. That process um, is is all over the place because they see people they want to be like, or they see people who they deem as, you know, um, an idol or someone that they look up to. And they have so much access to them. They mimic those behaviors in trying to find themselves. And some of that can be super unhealthy. Um, And a lot of times they don't understand that it's still social media. There's a fakeness to it. It's not 100% real all the time. Um, A lot of it's curated and they're trying to make it happen for them now, not realizing that. And so that can be detrimental to self-esteem, self-confidence and other areas of them building up themselves. And back to like the idea after Juarez, so with, um, you know, your eyes being opened on wanting mm-hmm. to actually go into um, being a teen mentor. So like did the when I kind of see the program, did that start off like were you going to be like an entrepreneur and, you know, have your own programs or were you going to mm-hmm. like work with school districts or, you know, how is that set up to do, um, you know, programs like that? Yeah. So um, while I was in Juarez, it really just started from the orphanage. That was um, my uh, backing was being part of the orphanage. And the director was like, hey, Uh, she was like, I'm having a hard time connecting with the teen girls. Can you maybe help me connect with them? I see you talk to them. You have a relationship with them. And she was like, I don't want to be only talking to them when there's an issue or there's drama or anything like that. I want to, I want to foster a relationship, a healthy relationship. And I was like, what? I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know anything about teens. I just work with EC through six. So, um, I had a friend of mine who had worked with teens. I was like, Hey, you know, I kind of need you to be my co-teacher. And so we went into it and that was just working with the girls in the orphanage. So it was about six to seven of them between the ages of 12 and 16. Then I was like, okay, I still see so much need in the community. So then I opened it up to um, the church that the orphanage went to, the kids and the family in the orphanage went to. I opened it up to there. 
And then from there, I started doing it for all of the community. Um, in Juarez, it was most, it was only focused on girls. So by, I started all, all of it in 2017. And by 2019, we were doing outreach. We worked with refugees. Um, we were doing homework study helps. Um, we also did social outings and, so it was just kind of like, you know, let's just, I'm just going to see what I could do. I got on Facebook. I asked for donations. Um, I got a lot of support from friends, um, family, sorority sisters, frat brothers, and just kind of ran with it. Like whatever I was given, I was like, let's use it. And so I, I just used the resources to the best I could and pouring back into that community and those girls. Um, and so I was, I'm thankful that I did start in Juarez because I was given so much liberty. I didn't have to, you know, go and ask or become a nonprofit or do any of those things. Um, there was a lot of space for me to grow in that. And now being on this side, it's a little bit different. But now that I have more of understanding of what I'm doing and the direction I'm going now that I'm back in the States, um, I'm able to connect with those who are nonprofits or connect with different organizations within the community here in Dallas and work alongside them and supporting the teams. And when you mentioned like the idea with the orphanage being a all girls program, so do you work with uh, male teenagers now or, you know, is it still do all girl programs? Yeah, so I opened it to um, be super inclusive. So I work with all teens. Um, and so, yeah, I decided to do that earlier this year because I realized um, my passion isn't just for girls. Like I, I love working with teen girls and obviously it's a personal connection, but I also realized there's so much need for um, youth in general. And I really have a heart for LGBT TQ plus um, youth as well. And so, yeah, I just opened it up for everyone. I said, Hey, let's, let's all go through this teen life together. We're all in it. We're mm -hmm. all in it together. So mm -hmm. I guess from like uh, working with, um, you know, when you started off working with uh, male teenagers and getting that new perspective, mm -hmm. was there any like lessons you learned of uh, maybe like what, uh, you know, younger boys are dealing with nowadays? Cause I can imagine maybe, uh, you know, maybe you had a different perspective when you were a teenager yourself, like, but, um, you know, now being a mentor, was there mm -hmm. anything that popped up? Um, so for working with, um, boys, teenage boys, it's definitely new, newer territory working at the orphanage. I did work with teenage boys, but I didn't have a program for them. Um, the communication is different. <laughs> the struggles in a lot of ways present themselves differently. Um, girls are like, they like to talk. They like to talk and talk and talk. And so they're going to eventually tell you what's going on with them. Um, with teenage boys, I've had to learn to give them space and to communicate in uh, different ways. And that might be through just pure emotions, like being upset and mad, and then kind of like backtracking, like, okay, let me ask you some questions like what makes you irritated or what makes you mad? Um, a lot of it is understanding that, you know, 
boys will get mad at each other really quick or be upset about something and then they'll understand it and they're like, okay, I'm over it. Where girls will hold on to it a lot longer and it will take them time to like let go. And so, um, of course, every teen is different, but for the general that there was a big difference in that and I had to kind of adjust how I worked and how I spoke um, to the different um, groups within that and understanding and giving space to them. When you like highlight the differences between uh, like with levels of communication with working with mm-hmm. boys and versus working with girls, I was going to ask on like the difference between because I know on TikTok you do huge things about uh, it seems like a lot about setting up personal boundaries and dealing with uh, abusive relationships. Yeah. Um, you know, are there different strategies or, you know, uh, when it comes to how a girl might set up boundaries versus a boy? Or is there like differences on, you know, how they find themselves in bad situations where they need to build boundaries? Uh, yeah, I as far as setting up boundaries, the the conversation is the same. It's the same on how to set up boundaries with the girls. It's I have to do backtracking because we live in a society that kind of um, has this expectations that girls need to be sweet and nice and like not be mean and be soft and not, you know, just get in there and say what you mean. And so a lot of times it's teaching girls to say, no, like I'm not, I don't like that. I'm not for it. And knowing you're not being mean, you're being honest and kind of switching uh, the the idea that has kind of been understood or taught within society, like you have to like smile and be like, oh, no, thank you. I'm OK. Mm-hmm. Like you can just be like, hey, no, that's not OK. Be direct, be straightforward. And if that's not respected, then you go somewhere you are safe or you contact someone or, you know, whatever is necessary for you to be safe, because we want to make sure that you're making safe decisions in those moments. But uh, the teaching is the same, but there's some backtracking I have to do with the girls and in their process of like not wanting to hurt anybody's feelings or like, well, what if they get mad at me or what if they think this about me? And a lot of times with the boys, it's just like, OK, I got it. Like I can say no and that's it. You know, they have no like there's nothing else to it. It's like, oh, I, if I don't want it, I don't want it. And that's OK. Um, but yeah, with the girls, there's definitely a difference. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine like with the idea of setting boundaries um, becoming so mm-hmm. important with teenagers, uh, you know, going through hormones, they're, you know, going through puberty, you're possibly in relationships where maybe mm-hmm. they're being pressured to do something, you know, has that has that been like any different or more complicated or like harder for either girls or boys to set up boundaries in that type of situation? Um. You know, I, it depends on the home life. It depends on what's going on at home. I've noticed that uh, teens where they have been given to space to say no to giving hugs to relatives or their parents give them the space to be like, hey, I'm going to my room. I want to be by myself where there's just this kind of like um, respect of your person and you're asking me to not do something or to give you space uh, as your parent, I'm going to respect that because I see you as a person. It's a little bit easier for those students to get. Um, the struggle comes in where they're, you know, told the 
say hi and hug, even though they don't feel comfortable with family members or their voice isn't really heard at home. Um, they feel like they can't speak up or they're afraid to speak up. Those pop up in their relationships and how they um, manage and um, live them with outside of the home. And so it pops up in, I don't know how to say no, or I'm afraid to say no, or um, I'm scared to say no, even though it might be a situation where they're not in any danger, just because that's already been a pattern in their lives at home. It's a struggle for them to see it any other way. Um, so those are the areas where I have seen it be a struggle and be uncomfortable for those teens that don't really have the space to make those decisions at home, which is why with El Bosque Plus, I really try to work with the teen and the parent. So both sides are getting information and they're able to kind of understand this can't work unless, you know, the parents are in on it and they're understanding what I'm saying to the teens and how it can affect them. Like home is where all the habits are growing from. So we got to make sure that they are being watered and cared for in the right way so that when they're outside of the home, they're able to step into this, knowing where my boundaries are and knowing what consent is and being confident in who I am. And like, has that dynamic with the parents gotten like, what was that like during the COVID-19 situation? Because I know, you know, some K through 12 teachers kind of saying like, you know, mm -hmm. it was like a little hostile or, you know, it, uh, there was stress on everyone during a situation yeah. like that. You know, uh, what was kind of that situation like? Yeah. So during COVID, um, I was still uh, part time in a um, working part time in a nonprofit that worked with teen girls and the DFW area. And what we saw during COVID was there was a huge struggle. Uh, parents were stressed. They were stressed with trying to figure out school and trying to help their teen and also having to work and also trying to figure out money and life. And so it was an extra um, thing that was put on their plate that they that a lot of parents don't know how to teach. They don't know how to sit there and show up for their kids in that space. And so um, there were two things that parents did. They either like, hey, I need help. They, you know, they were able to say and communicate, I need help. I'm not getting this. Or my my girl needs help. Like, I'm not able to do this. Um, how can I better show up for her? And then there were parents who uh, kind of just shut down. Um, and it came out in girls being like, you know, like I'm always in my room all the time. Like my parents don't really help me with my homework. Um, a lot of the older, so high schoolers wouldn't see that their parents were stressed out and didn't go to them and ask them questions because they didn't want to put anything else on their plate. So then there was this isolation of I'm struggling in school, but I don't want to say anything to my parents. Um, so it was, it was a lot of dynamics going on and, um, we couldn't at that point in time, I wasn't working with parents and teens. So it was just working with the teens. And so what um, we would do in my sessions is talk about how can you connect with your parents in a positive way? Like, how can you make the time you're spending at home and the space you're at right now with everything going on with COVID? How can it be beneficial to your relationship? Because if your relationship is healthy and you're able to have these conversations, that's going to bring down the stress levels and that's going to bring down, you know, the conflict within the house and the irritable, being irritable. Um, you know, we're human, but 
like if we're able to kind of bring that down, then that's the best way to go about it. So we would give our teens like, hey, why don't you plan this for your family? Or, you know, why don't you ask your parents if you can, they can sit down with you and do game night, um, switch it up, like, you know, put on a talent show with your little siblings, be goofy, have fun. Use this time to laugh because it's stressful. Everyone is stressful. Everyone is scared. And so um, the best way to get through this is if you're doing it as a family unit, if we're doing it as a community. Um, so we try to do that. We try to uh, foster that and have those conversations with the teens. Mm-hmm. And like on the dynamic of the kids during COVID, mm-hmm. do you think like the kind of pandemic has like a long-term effect do you think like teenagers can bounce back? Like, you know, after a year of, you know, maybe not being able to hang out with friends and they're doing mm-hmm. their work on a laptop, like, what do you right. think that kind of effect is like? Yeah, I think it's it's going to be very interesting. I feel um, as though the older kids, the high schoolers, they're the bounce back is going to be a lot easier and smoother for them because they are getting, especially those closer to college, are kind of like getting set up and ready for, you know, being more independent, um, you know, that is kind of the, the expectation and being high school, like, oh, you're, you got to be more independent for our younger ones. It's going to take it's going to take a minute, especially the elementary kiddos, because during that isolation time, they are on like it's screen time. It's less communication um, with peers, which is very important for social skills. Um, and I can tell just from my personal experience with my own son, who um, at that point was in kindergarten, he didn't know what school was. So he was like, okay, I was in person for the first part of it, but now I'm looking at a computer screen all day. Um, The social aspect is kind of hard for him, like understanding social cues and space and all of these things he's now learning back in school now that, you know, everything's like opening mm-hmm. up and stuff. And, you know, he's in first grade. Um, he's learning those things, but it, it's, it took a while and it's still, it's still a process. So it's going to take the little ones a bit, but they're, they're, they're so smart and they're so able to adapt. Um, it just takes the teachers, the education, the educators and the parents to help kind of feed in more, Hey, this is social, social skills and while we're coming back to quote unquote normalcy with after, you know, dealing with COVID and everything. Mm -hmm. When you kind of reflect on the idea of, um, you know, knowing kind of reflecting, uh, you know, experiences with your own son versus kind of the, some of the teens that you would deal with uh, in the Mm -hmm. program. I wanted to ask about like, if you like self-disclose or kind of talk about your own experiences when you're mentoring these teenagers, Mm -hmm. because I know I've had this conversation a few times, primarily with uh, kind of uh, uh, clinical therapists where, you know, Mm -hmm. some of them are on one board of like self-disclosing is actually very good at the patient, like talking about your own. And then some kind of coming from the background, like, no, uh, kind of the therapeutic experience is supposed to be like a mirror for the patient. And I wanted to ask, you know, mm-hmm. from like a mentor life enrichment program, do you have like uh, a foot in either camp? Um, yes. Yeah. So it, it definitely depends on the topic and it depends on the maturity of the, the client, the team that I'm working with, or if it's a group. 
Uh, I don't disclose everything because of course, like, you know, I don't do that with any of my own friends. So um, there's boundaries. There's definite boundaries. I will share things on topics that I feel um, benefit them. It's a knowledge that would benefit them understanding either an adult perspective or it's a connecting piece for me. Like, okay, you're struggling with this. Look, I'm going to be honest. When I was a teenager, this is what I struggled with. Um, this is what I did to work out of it um, or get better in it. So in those circumstances, yes, I definitely um, would want to share because um, not only does it help them better understand they're not alone, but also to understand that it doesn't last forever. Um, but it also gives them an educational piece um, on understanding um, the ebb and flow of life and situations and circumstances. And you know that they're, like I said, they're not alone. Um, this is definitely something that people go through, um, even if they don't talk about it. So yeah, it just depends. Definitely. Well, I guess to wrap up the episode, I wanted to ask with the programs that you're currently doing or mm -hmm. any of the mentor you're doing, is there anything you're looking forward to upcoming as far as uh, any new programs or anything involved in the mentoring uh, that you wanted to share? Um, yeah, so I am actually partnering with the Rollette Library and Rollette, and I'm super excited. Um, the kids are coming from the middle school and the high school that are in the area and it's free. It's free for them to come and just hang out. And they, I, I have set it up so that they get to choose the topics that we discuss and talk about. Um, and it's anything, it's anything from, I want to learn how to cook to like, I want to talk about, you know, how to have a really healthy relationship or a better relationship with my parents. Um, that's something that was brought up to me. And so I am working with the library and doing that. And then we're looking at having events coming up in 2022 in February for parents and teens. So I'm super excited oh, about that. Mm -hmm. No, congrats on that. Like with Thank some of these you. collaborations, like with the, yeah, with Rowlett. No, it's, uh, no, I definitely need to check out one of these events and definitely support. <laughs> Um, you know, thank you. But I wanted to thank you again, Ashley, for, you know, taking out the time today to not just kind of explain your kind of uh, experiences with traditional teaching, with mentoring, uh, mm -hmm. the program you went to in Juarez, uh, but also just kind of your thoughts and uh, feelings on what's kind of affecting teenagers nowadays with kind of the changes to social media, the impact of COVID-19, um, yeah. you know, some of these other major factors that are pushing teens. But it seems like based on our conversation, you're optimistic on, you know, some of the changes that can happen and, yes. uh, you know, that teenagers are doing good. Yes. Thank you so much for having me and just um, letting me come and talk to you about my favorite topic, which is working with these amazing teens. Like, I love it. So thank you so much. <laughs> We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Platinum Mask Podcast. Stay connected with us directly through theplatinummask.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at graymask12. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through maskgrayson at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, raise a glass to success, no matter how you define it.